Justin, hi, welcome to the show. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? Really good. A lot of energy this week. Busy, but in a busy way, like good way, right? So cannot complain. Um, and we have blue skies for the first time in a very long time. We do, exactly. As I was telling you, cannot complain when it's sunny uh, here in New York. You're in Connecticut, right? Yep. So we, we have about the same color uh, blue skies, which after a few months of being in gray weather is mm -hmm. very nice to see. Yeah. We deserve that. That's what I would say. Like, we deserve that. That is the minimum that we can ask, right? Uh, but uh, thank you so much for, for joining on this episode. And, uh, you know, usually what I usually do is that I ask a bit more about yourself, your career, and, you know, what you're up to lately so that the, you know, the audience can understand a bit more. And then we're going to dive in into this topic that's really going to be focused on uh, B2B influencer marketing. But first of all, who is Justin? <laughs> So I've spent about the past 15 years of my career focused in B2B marketing, uh, social media, and early uh, kind of early days of influencer marketing. And over those 15 years, I've had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500s, uh, work at and consult with them. I speak at a number of industry conferences. I've written a couple books on the topic. And, you know, my goal has been <clears throat> throughout the years to prove that B2B social media can be as effective and as interesting as B2C social media has been. So bringing those ideas to B2B marketing and prove that social media doesn't have to be born. It makes sense, right? Because again, it's easy, right, to envision B2C with like, you know, a pair of shoes on social media, right? Or yeah. a makeup product. When it comes to B2B, yeah, a lot of the people are either thinking about something boring, corporate, and, you know, like in a box, right? You cannot do much yeah. more. But actually, we're seeing that you can do a lot of really interesting and cool things, right? Even in the B2B, right? So let's jump into that. Like, you know, let's, uh, let's start talking about, first of all, why is it important nowadays? And, and you know, why can it be so powerful? Um, again, you know, using B2B um, in the influencer marketing um, environment. Sure. So one of the big differences, of course, when you look at B2C and, and B2B is B2C, you're only appealing to one or maybe two people, right? It might be the household or it just might be that one individual. When you start to look at B2B, now you're looking at a bigger buyer committee, right? That might be five, seven, 10 people, depending on the company and the, the size of that committee. Take that and you also consider the fact that we don't trust as individuals, we don't trust companies any mm -hmm. longer. We trust other people. And that's where influencer marketing steps in is that we're willing to buy from people that we trust or, you know, understand that if they're aligned with that company that they're promoting or sharing content on behalf, that we as an, as a consumer should have an aligned trust with them as well. Right. So if you're working with a company and, and I trust you and we've developed a relationship because I consume your content on a regular basis, I'm going to already have a built-in trust because I know that you wouldn't align yourself and your values with a company that uh, was just paying you essentially to be a shill for them. So that that's where B2B influencer marketing 
has really stepped in and continued to grow into being a multi-billion dollar kind of line item these days. I've been doing it for 10 plus years before it was called influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. But nowadays you do see full-time positions within companies. You see very dedicated line items and budgets. When you look at any of the kind of state of marketing reports that, that come out, you do see influence, influencer marketing being one of those first usual th- top three investment areas for companies. So it, it's really important for companies uh, nowadays to understand how to take advantage of uh, influencer marketing and how to rightly involve themselves. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Like, first of all, when you say that, you know, more companies are using influencer marketing budgets, you're also being seen like, you know, shifting from a nice to have to a must yes. to have, right? It's it's yeah. part of the of the deal nowadays before it was like, let's test it out. And then, you know, it moved to, okay, this actually works. We can actually, you know, track ROI. And now it's a big part. Certain companies spend up to like 80% of their budget. Some others are still like more conservative, but yeah, it's it's here to stay and actually showing that it's not just anymore, again, a nice to have, but yep. it's a big part of that. And also like when you say about, you know, the people behind the businesses, because what I say personal all the time, B2B is still a person that is talking with another person, right? <laughs> so yep. when you realize that on the other side could be even maybe a corporation, but there is still a person with feelings, right? Uh, what I say all the time, like that person might be is a father of three kids, right? With their own problems. Yep. So if you go on the, on the personal level, again, you're not the company speaking is a person that is, that is doing that. Yeah, there's not, it's not two logos talking to one another. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? So, um, and, and so like based on that, right? So we said that it's uh, powerful, it's important. Uh, what are, in your opinion, some of the best ways for organizations, right, to use uh, social media and influencer campaigns? M- too many times, you know, uh, some brands uh, really failed on delivering because they think <laughs> that they want to use right certain tone of voice that is not what you should use on social media. So in your opinion, what works and what doesn't? At the end of the day, no matter what campaign you decide to use, if it's paid, if it's organic, if it's social, influencer, anything, it has to be authentic, Mm -hmm. right? It has to be authentic to who you are as a brand, who your community is on social and authentic to the influencers that you align yourself with. So at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to authenticity because your consumer, your prospect, your community will see right through that if uh, you're not being true to your voice as a company and or if the influencers that you work with aren't being true to themselves. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, like, and we, we have seen it for the B2C and even more in the B2B, right? You want an authority, right? Someone that you can trust yeah. and someone that is going to show you, especially when it comes to technicality, right? Of a product in the B2B yes. is even more important, right? Than on the B2C. Because maybe for, again, for a pair of shoes, yeah, you do care about the quality. But when it comes to, for example, a software, you're going to really yes. go down, right, in details about the features that I can get, how many seats I can, you know, like, and that is for mostly software. But the same could be for, you know, medical devices, for example. And there are so, like, more technicality involved, right? So, so that's why also I think it is important to, again, as you said, be authentic and really go in depth, right, when possible. Because... Uh, at the end of the day, people are interested in also knowing your, your personal experience, right, with, with, with something. So, um, and I also wanted to ask you this, like, uh, um, you know, 
in the past years, we finally moved away from only looking at numbers, right? You know, like uh, this influencer, right, has a million of followers. Uh, yeah. Therefore, I'm going to use that person. And finally, we saw that, you know, you can actually use micro influencers or mediums and the others. In the B2B space, have you seen something working better than others? Like, is it micro influencers better than macro? Uh, it depends. What is your take on that? I do think it depends. Certainly, unless you're you know, a Fortune 5 or Fortune 10 type company, you're not going to work with celebrities. Mm -hmm. And at that level, you know, you're essentially paying for reach. Yeah. But at the macro, micro, niche kind of ranges, I think that the best solution is usually a kind of layered approach, right? You know, if you're working on a B2B marketing campaign, say a launch of some kind or, or something of that nature, working with some that at the macro level that have broad influence, maybe across the whole industry, all across all of B2B marketing, for example, will help get you the, the, the broad reach and get into those larger communities. But Working, like you said, with a niche influencer or a micro influencer will help you penetrate those audiences that are very specific to whatever your topic or expertise is in uh, with what you're trying to sell. So at Demandbase, for example, I've run ABM influencer campaigns in the past, and there are several individuals that have micro communities that really are focused on ABM. Either they have that title at work, they might be demand gen or something of that nature, but they mm -hmm. work with ABM campaigns and activities. And so to identify those influencers and work with them, that has a huge impact. Now we have also worked on other campaigns where awareness was the goal. So we will work with macro influencers to help bring that larger voice. Hey, quick break. This podcast is hosted by the Influencer Marketing Factory. We are an influencer marketing agency that helps brands and companies engage with Gen Z and millennials on social media. We take care of influencer identification, storytelling, creativity, negotiation, contracting, campaign management, error analysis, in-depth reporting, content boosting, and much, much more. Are you interested in learning more? You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or you can Google The Influencer Marketing Factory. Mm -hmm. And let's go a bit more in detail when you were just now telling us about funding them, right? So first of all, there is a big thing, right? Like how do we actually find them? <laughs> and two, how do you start the conversation, right? Because with B2C, it's something, but with B2B, again, it's even more narrowed. So what is the best way to actually even get started? Sure. So with identifying influencers, I think you really have one of two ways. Mm -hmm. uh, one's very painful and one's a, a little easier. So in B2B, the influencers in, in your audience are more than likely going to live on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. more so than Twitter, you know, TikTok or Facebook or what have you. Because of LinkedIn's API, you really do have two ways. One, if you have an influencer software, they can pull some data, you know, so you can create some complex searches with them to pull follower numbers, or position within a company, size of company, things of that nature. Or 
if you don't have that software or you're trying to verify that data, then it is manual searches within LinkedIn to identify those individuals. So if you're looking for VPs and above in a, you know, in marketing operations roles, that's going to be a manual search to identify those people. And while that is manual, it actually, in my opinion, is one of the better ways to verify level of influence because influence isn't just based on raw numbers, yeah. right? So you can have a hundred thousand followers. And if you have no conversations or you're not engaged, you're not influential. That hundred thousand came from who knows where, you know, and, but if you have a thousand followers and they're really engaged and you're engaged with your community and that's topical and it's a mix of, you know, that topical area and personal and, you know, you can understand that that person's really influential in that area or with their audience, they're by far more impactful than that person with a hundred thousand followers that has no engagement and doesn't post uh, relevant content. So, you know, again, software or and or manual searches verification if you're you are using the software. But then to start the conversation, hopefully, in most ideal scenarios, you either have talked to them in the past mm -hmm. or you have mutual connections yeah. that can make those introductions, right? So warm con connections are always the better ones. In the instances that you don't, you know, I've had, I've executed very successful campaigns that built relationships based using InMail on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's just knowing how to approach those individuals and, you know, not pitch slapping them like we see a lot, like with, you know, other areas in sales, you know, yeah. will happen. You accept the friend requ uh, connection request and you immediately, you know, get uh when can we set up a call type, mm -hmm. you know, but it's explaining yourself and hooking them and, and helping them to understand why you're reaching out to them. So that's how I, you know, probably the the two ways to identify the influencers and then probably the, the three ways to engage with them because you either have their direct information already, you go through a warm outreach, or if, if cold, then you're, you're reaching out through in-mail or something like that. Absolutely. No, yeah, I love when you say about like, you know, doing the manual check. Personally, what I do, I go and I click on all activity on someone's profile. You can see their posts, comments, reactions, articles, right? That, it, that already gives you, right, an idea of their engagement. Yep. And usually what I've been doing also lately, I check if they have a newsletter since LinkedIn is pushing them a lot. And I'm thinking like in the B2B, you can ask them, for example, to place, for example, maybe a native advertisement in their LinkedIn newsletter that people also get pushed to their email. So, yep. you know, like a little bit of like this uh, work, right? I do agree with you. You can have so many followers on, on LinkedIn, but maybe you got them because of a viral, for example, you know, LinkedIn post, but these people yep. maybe are, you know, from all over the world and not really targeted to you. And in time, maybe you deleted all that engagement in time. And now maybe you have only 10, 10 likes per post, right? So, yeah. Right. Or sometimes they, it can be position in at certain named company, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're CMO or CEO or something at a very well-known company, it doesn't matter in some ways what you're you may or may not be doing on LinkedIn yeah 
because of name recognition of and brand recognition, right? So people want to follow you. They, they want to be engaged with you. It means something to them that you connect with them. Mm-hmm. But as far as influence, they have none beyond being a name. Totally. It's like what I say all the time, like Cristiano Ronaldo, you follow just because <laughs> it's him, right? You, you don't really care necessarily are gonna buy like the yeah some people are gonna buy their shoes and everything like you know because you want to have this inspiration but sometimes you follow celebrities it could happen also the same in the b2b space just because of their cognition right and you want to follow them and read something about them but i'm pretty sure that then at the end of the day you most probably won't really click on a link or subscribe to something right because they are telling you to do so so i think that there is some some sort of like you know um uh, analogy there between the B2C and B2B. And um, let me also ask you this. Um, do you think that also like, what is the best way there to go? Have you seen one shot activities like l- short term or do you think in the B2B, is it better to go on a long term with the, you know, like the time that you identify the right people, what is the best way to go? And uh, and if it is long term, what are some the, in the incentive or best way to really from day one be like, you know what, we're going to go on a sort of brand amb- uh, ambas- ambassador here uh, type of thing. And, you know, for maybe one year, two years, three years, something like that. I think that it your goal should always be to, to develop long-term relationships mm, yeah. with the influencers that you work with. However, you do likely build short-term campaigns, right? This, you know, we're executing this brand launch, this product launch, we have this conference, whatever that that may be, but it's a short-term campaign that might be a certain number of videos or a certain period over a period of time that you'll work with that influencer. But your goal should always be to develop a longer-term relationship with them. Some of the ways that you can do that is too many brands see influencer marketing as a one-way street. So how can my me as the brand benefit from you mm-hmm. as opposed to how can you help us? Sure, but now how can we help you use our voice or our resources to exponentially increase your reach? with our audience. So that's always one step, right? Brand uh, Influencers realize that. What brands are they working with that basically are taking advantage of them or are actually helping them and working together with them and bring their resources to bear? But then there's other things that you can do. You know, send in a handwritten thank you card after a campaign you know that it's their birthday or you see that they got a promotion or they published a book, anything, send in holiday gifts, any little touch points that you can do along the way just helps. These little reinforcements help. And then going back to them and reusing them multiple times, right? You know, it doesn't have to be something big. We've used an influencer to create a three-minute TikTok for us or whatever it was. But he did it for us, right? It, it was like a last-second idea, reached out to him, said, hey, listen, we'll toss you a few dollars if you don't mind creating this for us. And he did. But that's another touch point. And then we've gone on to work with him on longer-term projects that are two, three, four quarters long now. And, and you know, now that you say about doing something like, you know, some little 
nice touch things like you know to people it reminds me that i was on your linkedin and i saw a pic <laughs> a photo was it like some macarons or something like that right and it was like yep. interesting uh do, do you find it do you find like working well and and if so like how do you usually approach like the, the gifting side uh for, for the b2b sure so uh, using Gifting is something that I wholeheartedly believe in and I use uh, very often. You see uh, the use of Gifting most often on the sales side of companies or in customer marketing. So on the sales side, it might be in prospecting. You know, uh, uh, SDR or an AE may see that their uh, customer, their prospective customer has moved company. So they may, you know, send them a thank you bottle of wine or, or something of that nature. They may show that they are engaged through um, one way or another customer marketing. It may be, you know, gift cards to generate G2 reviews or, you know, other things on other review sites. But to your point, something that I don't see happen often enough and it may, of course, I don't know. I don't see everything that every company and every influencer is doing, but I don't hear talked about enough, at least, is the use of gifting platforms when it comes to influencer marketing and communities, private communities. So like I mentioned, you can supply a, a small gift um, to your influencers after you work with them. I tend to, like you said, it's like macarons in the example that you're talking about, you know, send some small gift, maybe some chocolate or, or something of that nature. I'll also work on kind of the reverse pro program or the reverse of that. If we're working with an author, then we'll buy so many copies of their book and send them out mm -hmm. through whether that's our social community or that's within the private community uh, that I manage on our behalf or to, to our employees or something like that to help drive their book sales and consumption of their book. But also within our private community that I run for uh, VPs and above in sales or marketing roles, I this was the other thing that you were referring to. I you know send gifts, be they you know, gift cards of, of different things or gifts, actual physical gifts as holiday to those that are most engaged in our community or as random acts of kindness. And this applies to influencers as well. There doesn't need to be a reason. And this goes to the kind of build on a long-term relationship with them. There are those natural touch points after a campaign, maybe for the holidays, birthday, job change, some of those major life events or, or points in the year. But I've certainly just been sitting there at times and been, oh, I have 30 minutes now before my next meet and let me just send out some things to individuals uh, as thank yous. So um, I find it very helpful. I do think that it has to be a balance of uh, tac tactile, you know, mm -hmm. things, bottle of wine, sweets, yeah. you know, books, whatever that is, as well as, you know, gift cards or what have you, you know, I just did a surprise and delight of in our community. I'd asked what people's favorite toppings were on their burgers and people ran away with it. And so then I surprised everyone that had answered with 
gift cards to Uber Eats slash DoorDash to go get a burger with their favorite toppings. You know, like it just drives additional goodwill on behalf of the brand. I I absolutely love these. You're totally right. Like, especially in the influencer marketing B2C, gifting has been always a thing. It's still something, but of course, you know, nowadays influencers... uh, um, prefer right to get um, cash on right because you know because of the I get it like you know they are doing work and everything right Ma- doesn't make sense but you're totally right gifting is mostly either prospecting or with the idea of like maybe they're gonna take a picture of these or a little story yep. right and post it but yeah there is not enough about like what it happens after right uh, too many times I can see that people do their thing and then part a ways and then they have to start a new relationship while I mean at the end of the day again like you know what I say all the time, human beings love like basic things, right? And some of them is like receiving a gift that you were not expecting, or even just yep. like a little handwritten card that saying like, thank you. So yep. I love that you're doing that. And I, I can see why it's successful. Not that many people spend the time to do that. So they think there is like something extra, but actually I, I do believe that it's one of the most important things, right? To uh, really keep to connected on the long term with people. So, and Absolutely. um and and you know what? Before actually jumping more on the you know uh, tracking and uh, you know like ROI and so on, and we're gonna go more even more in detail about you know case studies and so on. I forgot to ask you something about LinkedIn before. You guys had they have we have now uh, fifty two thousand, yeah. right? Uh, if I'm correct, fifty two thousand almost like fifty one something like. But <laughs> fifty two thousand, okay. Uh, but the time that it's gonna go live, it's gonna be even more than that. Followers on LinkedIn yeah. and. How did you achieve like you know such a, a great results and like and um, what do you usually post is like a mix of informative uh, something mm-hmm. fun like how are you managing your uh, LinkedIn page? Yep. So I have to give credit where credit is due. You know, uh, Caitlin Doyle and Kira Curret on our team are 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 amazing social team. But you know, one of the things that we did over the past really year, maybe year and a half is, uh, start to analyze every single post that we send the time of day, the engagement rate on it and the type, you know, the type of post, was it all text? Did it have a image in it? Did it have video? Everything you can imagine really down to the detailed level, because we wanted to understand what our community was engaged with and not just from the, oh, look, this posted really well. It had 100 likes, mm-hmm. which is fine. They're just the kind of looking kind of back of the napkin test is always good and needed. But we started to really watch what was performing well. And then the things that performed well, of course, you do more of, right? Yeah. But also taking advantage of everything that LinkedIn offers you. So as an example... About a year and a half ago or so, we decided to test out LinkedIn carousels. Mm-hmm. And we use an analogy that our CMO has, and we broke it down into a series of four four slides, I think, or something of that nature. And we saw that it had a five to six uh, X more engagement than any other post that we had. Hmm. That was a sign. Yeah. <laughs> so... Now we produce them regularly. We, if you look once a week, once every other week, we have another carousel. And it is always based on something that is 
a number of some kind, an acronym, or in terms of things like uh, top lists or, you know, uh, showcasing uh, certain people, you know, if it's, uh, you know, Pride Month or International Women's uh, Day or Month, you know, things of that nature, highlighting impactful people. So we're, we start to use carousels. We start to take advantage of video. So short social clips, every video that we post has a, sh a short clip to it that also has closed captioning on it because the vast majority of us, as we scroll our phones, we may be sitting on the couch watching TV at night and you're not going to turn on the sound. And so we wanted to still cat, kind of catch them and cause them to stop and look at the video. Maybe you save it and you engage or you click the link and you go to our streaming uh, network and go save that to watch later. So we paid attention to these metrics and, and what was hidden, what wasn't. When we tried this type of creative, did that work? Nope, that didn't work. Let's scrap it and maybe invert the colors and see if that that hit. And over, you know, a year, year and change, you know, we grew our followers about 3x um, while maintaining our engagement rate, which is about 3x what LinkedIn states is a good engagement rate for company pages. And while we were doing that, that was something that our team watched very carefully, that kind of EQ on that. It's great to grow your followers, but if your engagement tanks, it doesn't matter, right? It's kind of the influencer piece that we we're just talking about. I would rather 10,000 followers and high engagement than 100,000 and no engagement, mm -hmm. right? So, but our engagement held exactly the same, if not grew, while our followers were sharply increasing. Wow. Uh, first of all, congrats on, on that. I know that, especially with the algorithm changes on LinkedIn, like, you know, might be a bit tricky sometimes. But <laughs> since you said that, like, you know, you exported everything, analyzed everything, I can see that you guys are really onto tracking and uh, analytics, right? And so, something I wanted to ask you is also that, uh, you know, for too many years, the people doing influencer marketing, were, they were not tracking properly. And what I say all the time it is that if you're putting $1 in, but you don't know where it, this is going and what is like resulting in, it's like burning money, right? Yeah. So tracking is, is crucial, right? In marketing and even nowadays in influencer marketing. So how do you, how do you monitor your, you know, your influencer marketing campaigns? And, and also what are some of the most important and crucial metrics that sure. you would consider for any type of B2B influencer marketing campaign? Sure. So it does depend on if it's a brand awareness campaign mm -hmm. or if it's a demand campaign. Some of those metrics bleed too. But brand awareness, obviously, you're going to look at things like impressions and reach and engagement. And the one thing that I don't think brands do often enough is measure the brand reach and engagement during an influencer campaign as well as the the reach and engagement of their influencers. And what I mean by that is the brand's doing it correctly. They're also going to sh share those assets, whether that's a blog post, that's video, what a uh, podcast, whatever it is. Well, you should know if 
what you shared drove on behalf of this campaign drove what engagement as well as just as importantly, of course, as you know, what happened with your influencers that that you worked with. So that that's always important. I then also always look at website traffic mm-hmm. yeah. because that's the piece that people don't talk about enough. I think it's always impression number of followers and how much are they engaged? My take is if you're pushing them to the website, which you should, even if that's just to look at a blog post, your website should take over at that point, right? Cause you're driving into the website. If your website's set up properly, you'll be able to see if they move around on the website. Do they click on other assets that maybe are embedded in that landing page or that blog post or uh, things of that nature? So that's how we look at all of those numbers. And for example, you know, we just launched a campaign last week as we record this. I just have to think of the day. It was a week or a week and a half ago. But within the first few days of the campaign launching, the blog post that was used as the landing page essentially was one of the top five pages on the entire website. And that includes the home page. Yeah. Which on any for any company will always be the number one page. Um so we look at that. When you look at paid campaigns, if you're you know paying an influencer, the other metric that I always use is CPE. So cost per engagement. And the reason why that's so important to me is influencer pricing is wild. There's literally no basis for it, right? I can charge $5,000 for five posts and 10 videos, and you might charge $1,000 for 20 videos and two posts. Like the numbers are totally rampant. There is literally no basis for it. Um, And... So that's your that's the way that you can control that is CPE allows you to say, I paid this to this person. This is how many engagements I got. I paid this to this person. This is how many engagements. So then you have a baseline. It's all equal at that point. And you can start to determine for my next campaign, who do I want to use? Absolutely. You can easily do it like, you know, I guess, you know, Excel file, just put it your CPE. That is your baseline. You take all the other things, you divide it by that. Is it in my range? It's too off. It's too like, you know, too high. Absolutely. That is a good one. And also to getting back on what you were saying before about also the website. Also something that we noticed is that what we sometimes, uh, you know, uh, suggest to certain clients in the B2B is to Pose anything else or at least trying to not to do too many things and run maybe a campaign for a couple of weeks and see the spike in branded searches on Google search. Yep. And that is also something that we notice that many people go on social media and then they do not necessarily click on the link or they click, they go to another device nowadays with cookies, cookies, less like, you know, it's a bit more chaotic to understand what is happening, right? But if they see a spike, empirically speaking, it can be like, well, if we haven't done any other campaigns in that time, that is all the influencers, you can attribute that 
there is a lot of interest in your brand name yeah. that actually help you a lot, a lot for SEO purpose, right? Because Google is going to see that many people click, sorry, search for your brand name. That is really good, right? Really good uh, uh, for your identity and authority in the space. Uh, they click on the website, they check more. So yep. you know, that is also something quite powerful to look at. I don't know if you Absolutely. Ever, it it kind of goes the brand affinity, right? Yeah. You know, um, and the and the more the depend on the type of campaign you're running from an influencer perspective, the more into those secondary and tertiary audiences you're getting, right? Because in an influencer shares something and then their audience sees it, really likes it, shares it, you know, and you're getting into those audiences, the more to your point, you know, that recall is gonna start to happen. That uh people are, you know. I saw that really cool thing from this brand, mm -hmm. but I didn't have time to click on it. Yeah. Let me go search for it again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, we'll be seeing that all like again, B2C, like you know, tapping on an Instagram, then you go there, but then you like, you know, Instagram still, for example, missing when it comes to and even LinkedIn, like it's difficult to see, for example, reviews, right? Of yeah. something on, on social media. So you have to still have to go and Google it. Pretty sure that social media are gonna include more reviews later on because they have to, right? They have to, like you know, TikTok and others are trying to beat Google when it comes to search engine. And I'm most probably gonna also include the reviews to have everything in one place. But if I, until now, you still Google the name of a product, of a service, of a company, right? To have a sense of their reputation, for example, right? Sure. And, and so on. And uh, is there any other? I don't know, like if you want to share with us any other case studies that you work on or any other metrics that. Uh, uh, you think might be quite important to to know while running a B2B campaign? Yeah, so I think uh, an easily replicable case study, some of the other stuff we've worked on cost <laughs> a large investment. So that that's not something, applic something applicable in the sense that anyone could do it. But one of the most effective things that we do are lists. Top 25 this, you know, 50 execs that. And they are free to run. They just, they're heavily resourced. You know, they're going to drain your team. And so I say that up front, they, they can suck to put together. But um, because of the manual research, all, all of that. But if you think about how you can pull that apart and how you can integrate it. So... For example, we'll run a, a top list of some kind. We'll have creative done. So let's say we just ran a, a 25 sales executives to learn from in 2023, right? We had 25 individual cards made. So when I did my outreach, each influencer got their own social card that they could promote. Right to say on LinkedIn, I, I've been recognized by demand base, so on and so forth. We'll wait a week or two. We go back out to them and say, "Congrats again on being being named to the, our list. Would you like to contribute to an ebook we're putting together?" Mm -hmm. And it addresses this question. That question is something that's topical to our a focus area for us in that quarter or that year. They'll provide us the responses, right? You know, maybe 50% of those people or something will typically get back to us with responses. We'll take those, we'll develop an ebook out of it. Then we'll develop 
quote cards, social quote cards to send back out to them when that ebook launches. So now they're able to go back out and say, demand base asked me my thoughts on that, this, and here's my quote. And oh, by the way, here's a link to the ebook. So now once again, it's like a phase two. Now we've in a way hooked them and built that relationship. So we will offer them to co-create content. You know, do they want to post on our blog? Do they want to be on our podcast? Do they want to uh, shoot a interview for our video service? However, we can be of help. Do they want to join? They meet the ICP for our community. Do they want to be part of our community? We've just now, by helping them and recognizing them, we developed almost instantly a longer term relationship with them. And, and I know that that works well because we do the same for our own reports. We have done one for the creator economy, one so for social commerce. We do exactly the same. We go out, uh, we ask to expert in the area, like, you know, uh, about, you know, the, that topic for a quote. Then we give them like uh, their social cards. They can put it on LinkedIn and works so well. Again, as you said, time consuming. So people have to be ready to be like, it's really manual work. You have to do yes. your research and your homework. It's a lot of work. It's not just like, you know, AI type of thing, like give me 10 quotes, you know, like from experts. It's, yeah. it's much more, but we also realize how impactful it is to spend more time on those little, like, you know, pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and so I, I'm 100% with you. Like, I, I know for sure that works well. So I'm, I'm glad also that you're doing the same because uh, um, it, it brings just so, so much more, right, to the, to, to the table. So... And one of the things that I found with that too, that when we started to do it really kind of in earnest uh, last year, one of the things that I didn't expect, but I love to see, and it actually makes me happier than any of the kind of benefit of work, is people instantly, within minutes of receiving the email, update their LinkedIn profiles and, you know, that they've been named this, you know, top 2,500, whatever that number is, list by demand base. I've had managers reach out to me and that I've known that said, hey, listen, the, you know, this person just got the email from you and you've made her day, her week, you know, his you know, month because he was really down, things like that. I've had people email me and say, listen, I've had a fear that this wasn't a right role for me or I was having a really bad day. And just as I was walking away from my laptop, your email came in and made my week. Like these these really heartfelt messages that you don't realize that, yeah, some people look at it as a listicle, but when it's done in earnest with, you know, with that manual research, you don't realize the impact that it's potentially having on that person and that person's career. I love it. We started from the idea like, hey, B2B, like, you know, can be boring to, it can actually <laughs> change like the day that like, you know, making, making their day in their week. So uh, I love the message and, uh, and uh, you know, behind that again, as we said at the beginning, B2B, it's actually people behind, you know, a company. Again, with their feelings, with their things happening in their life. So if you are you know, able to give them some sort of like an also excitement because of their achievements, I can see why, right? They, they are happy about it. So um, 
really really you know good job on that like you know again not too many people spend enough time to really focus right <laughs> on this aspect of life and to start up, wrapping up uh, we cover many things today but is there anything that you are either excited about lately or something that i didn't ask you today that you would like to talk about I think that, you know, as, I, as I've mentioned, we run our own private Slack community. I think that private communities certainly mm-hmm. are uh, the way that we'll continue to uh, have conversations with one another. It was something that we saw really shoot up into the right during COVID when we couldn't get together, when we couldn't gather physically. And now they're they're taken off whether they're on slack they're browser based uh, discord you know you have circle you have you have a, a several different platforms slack being among the most popular slack and discord but they will be something that's more impactful into people's lives people's careers um, because it's where you can get to spend time with others that kind of look like you, right? If you're in Mops, there's Mo Pros, which is a private community just for marketing operations folks, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. If you're in sales, there's sales focused ones. So I do think private communities uh, certainly are something that we'll continue to see. And then, you know, the debate with TikTok will continue. Yeah. So, um, there are the, there's the ongoing legalities around mm-hmm. TikTok, And I, I just don't think that those can be ignored right now. You know, you have federal government here in the U S you have, uh, states banning it from their devices. And when the, some of the states that ban it, that then affects the colleges, the state universities. Um, and but yet it's this monster of a of a social network, right? So it'll be interesting over probably this year, the course of 2023 and maybe even into 2024 to just see what happens with all of, all of that, where it shakes out. Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing like happening during the Trump era, nothing really that happened. Now it's it's back. Uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely like a really like weird time for overall, I would say social media for TikTok more. But overall, we're seeing a lot of things yeah. happening every single day. So, well, Twitter's a dumpster fire, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. what I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like what is happening this this year. To be honest, to tech, right? It's it's a bit of a mess. But uh, but uh, yeah, let, let's see what happens there. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I can see that you are really passionate about this and really technical when it comes to like you know B two B influencer marketing tracking. I love to hear that because uh, I'm the first one that want to share that. It's influencer marketing, even in the B2B, especially nowadays, can be trackable. You can, you know, analyze things. But on top of that, you have to put the, again, those like human, right, touches, right, that you're doing. Because you can only, you cannot just, you know, uh, work on numbers and metrics, right? You need that, that extra level there. So again, thank you so much for sharing that with me today. Thank you. This was uh, uh, another episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory, and I'll uh, see you next week.